Hello and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Memories. I am Wax the Brain Hussein and joined by Fash the Million Dollar Fan. Please bear with us today in case we have any IT issues at all. We'll try and iron them out in the editing, but already we've had to start this show three times, Flash. Yeah, I mean, you need to pay for your broadband, Wax. You know, all these freebies are catching up on you. But yeah, hi, we are back. And what a show we've got lined up today, Wax. It's one that's been really building up for a number of months. It's the show that you thought you would never see at SummerSlam 1992. When we initially kicked off the whole you know, idea of doing this podcast, I think this, this show was right up there in terms of one of the, the abiding memories that we had. And we thought, you know, let's kick off in 92 and, and go. we ended up going back a year uh, further than we expected. But yeah, glad to finally be at SummerSlam 92. Um, being held, obviously, in London, in the UK. So it was a big show for us and a big show for our memories. And talking about memories, Fash, what, what sort of memories do you recall having, um, you know, back in, back in the day? Yeah, so as you say, we thought this would be episode number three or four when we started this uh, eight months ago, but uh, there was just so much to talk about. Um, but when we talk about our really first, I think, vivid memories, we talked about WrestleMania eight a little bit before that Survivor Series, we remembered bits, the Royal Rumble, but this is the one that I remember everyone just being so engrossed in WWF and it's, it's really interesting because in the US the business was waning and one of the reasons they were here was because it was so hot in the in, in the UK but a, a number of memories so I, I think what I remember really vividly Ray is when this card was announced there was an ice cream man wax that used to come into my area every single evening um, and it was one of your run-of-the-mill ice cream vans. But then on one summer afternoon when it was pretty hot, a new ice cream van came. It was shinier, it was bigger, and it had better ice cream. But what else they had as well was wrestling cards. And what I remember is they had SummerSlam 1992 wrestling cards. So this was months before the event was taking place. And then I think a month out, you got updated ones. And essentially, I remember them. There was a mixture of cards which just had the bouts so you had warrior against macho man you had bret hart against british bulldog so you collected those and then you also had kind of individual wrestler cards so i remember they were a big thing the man would turn up and we all wanted to buy a packet of these cards now unfortunately that this ice cream man was encroaching on the other van's territory and suddenly just as SummerSlam came and went this van came and went as well and it was uh, basically we never heard from it again but uh, it was a shame because it did give us uh, one of my first memories of SummerSlam 1992 do you remember these cards wax did you come across them I remember wrestling cards, but I couldn't pick out the relevant year because they were around for a while. Because and- you had the main ones, right, which we were talked about in our first episode, which were the kind of assorted ones, which were not really linked to anything. I don't know if these were specific for the UK, but as I say, they were a special edition. And I'm sure our viewers and listeners, there'll be people, you know, amongst those listeners and viewers that will remember these. Uh, they were very much a collector's item. Um, so give us feedback if you do remember them, and I'm not just inventing this. Um, the other memory I remember as well is, you know, just the hype in general, Wax. It was on the news, it was on TV shows, children's TV, that SummerSlam was coming to Wembley Stadium. And I remember Rowdy Roddy Piper showing up just before the event, I think it was a week or so before it, on a show that was called Going Live, I think it was called back in on BBC Saturday mornings. It was uh, the show that was a precursor to Live and Kicking later on, so UK fans will know what I'm talking about. But Piper appeared on that and um, they asked him about the event. And he said that he thought Matchman would beat the Ultimate Warrior and that the British Bulldog would beat Bret Hart. And he didn't really say he was appearing at it, but he alluded to it. So those are two big memories. But on top of that, in general, it was just the chat in the playground. Everyone was really looking forward to this and wished 
they could be in London for the big event. How about yourself? There's anything that comes to mind? Well, certainly the children's shows and, you know, the, the morning shows that you used to get up and watch. There was, there was a lot of mention of wrestling um, on those shows. But more than anything, actually, I remember the, the hype that I had myself to come home early from school and watch the show because I didn't watch it live. Strangely, this was a, a show that aired live in the UK on a Saturday, but in the US it didn't air for, you know, two days later. Yep. Um, and it's one that I had recorded uh, something I didn't manage to watch on the Sunday for whatever reason, but I remember coming home earlier than normal from school and just setting myself up in front of the TV in the main living room, nobody to bother me. Uh, everybody knew it was wrestling time and just watching the show start to finish. That, that, that's my, you know, the longest memory that I have. Yeah, because I was going to ask you that. I couldn't remember if this was also live in the UK, which would make sense, right? Because it was during the day, because I saw it, I think, a couple of days later, um, you know, and I saw it, this was one of the two events that I saw across homes. So I saw a bit of it in one home, then I went to somebody else's house to watch the rest of it. I remember watching the main event in a third house. It's still, you know, it's in my mind. But um, as you say, one of the unique aspects here was the fact that it was shot on the Saturday, but the audience in the US saw it on the Monday. Now, you couldn't do that now with the internet, but back in 1992, nobody was really going to spoil that. So this is really interesting in terms of, you know, going back um, 30 years and, and to where we are today, where you just couldn't do that at all. It's one of the reasons that there hasn't been a major pay-per-view in the yeah. UK since then, because there just doesn't seem to be a way to to work around this whole timing issue. You can't have a show here starting at you know, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. That's just unworkable for the US audience. Yeah. And you can't have one starting you know, 7, 8 in the evening, because that's just too early for US times. But yep. there are rumours, Fash, that a 30-year yep. anniversary could be coming back to the, the UK SummerSlam, that is. And especially not even London, but Cardiff of all places. Yeah, the big stadium. There's, is it still called the Millennium Stadium? The Millennium or the Principality? I can't remember. Yeah, what yeah. So that, that's it. the rumor. So um, you know, when we think about would they return to the UK, that's the rumor that next year we're going to get a third year anniversary. So they've all look around those. I guess now the way WWE is, they, they do Crown Jewel, so they don't really care. They do that in Saudi Arabia, and you just got to deal with it on the WWE network. And as you say, there's never been another major pay per view. Uh, on these shores, of course, we've had our own one night onlys, insurrection, etc. But I think it will be huge if they do. I mean, <coughs> is the popularity at the same level? I would say no, not as hot as it was then or as it was in the attitude era. But there's still a lot of people that will, you know, turn up because even now when they come to town in the UK for the shows, you know, they're jam packed. So if they can pull that off, I think it will be amazing and a bit of a renaissance. For, for UK fans and something unique as well for the US audience because one thing that we'll talk about, this event just looks so damn good and the crowd is so hyped. And I think that's why everyone has such fond memories of it just because of the location, the look and how hot the crowd is. Absolutely. So let's get this review started fast. Let's jump back to SummerSlam 1992. Okay, Fash, let's kick off. SummerSlam 1992 held in London, England, of course, with an amazing audience of 80,000. That's actual 80,000, not one of those made-up numbers. Not WrestleMania 3. No, not one of those made-up numbers. Uh, Even Dave Meltzer gave that one the thumbs up. Um, 80,355 fans in attendance. That's an amazing crowd for any um, event, but especially a wrestling event. And to be honest, they could have filled 180,000 in there. Um, this show was sold really quickly. Once again, looking at the technology of the time, 
you know, everyone just wanted to be here. It, it was huge. And said it in the intro, it just looks so damn good. When this show opened and you had Vincent Mann and Bobby Heenan there with his crown as the king of England, um, just, you know, the fact that I love these kind of shows because it's starting off at daytime, the sun was out, which, you know, isn't always the case in the UK. Um, and then as you go on, you know, night falls. So I just thought it looked great and yet jam-packed. Yeah, and it opens with some very traditional British style music. Um, that was terrible. That was that was just less, terrible. Listen, this is nineteen ninety two, right? So everything is slightly, um, slightly more rubbish. timely. And ch- yeah, and uh, you know, it, the one thing I really noticed was the how young the audience was. Um, you know, in the opening shots, it's very very young crowds outside, making a lot of noise. You know, um, and no surprise they were using the the kids programs to 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 make this event work. Um, Can I just say one thing about this? Because you've reminded me of a classic moment that both of us have missed when you mentioned the crowd and the kids. There's one specific kid when you watch the show. I haven't says, forgotten, Fash. <laughs> you haven't forgotten? You were no, going to get the... I've, I've, no, go for it. You go for it. Yeah, I'm just seeing the little boy outside who says the British Bulldog's going to win <laughs> whether he wants to or not. <laughs> the first heel turn of the event. Yeah, I think he froze under the pressure. Um, it's a great line. We're still talking about it 30 or years later on. Yeah, the, the show comes from the outside to the inside and then we hear some trumpeteers going off as, as if this was a medieval castle or something in the UK. Uh, pictures of Westminster and Big Ben, just showing really how different um, a feel this event had to a normal US city. Um, obviously, you know, the second biggest crowd in attendance. The look, which you mentioned, Fash, earlier, it's an arena show, uh, but it just looks massive, doesn't it? It's like yeah. one of the first times you get to see that full arena uh, the way they shot it. Yeah, and this was not happening in the US. You know, it was one of the reasons they moved here. They knew they could fill this up. In the US, leading up to the SWAX, we've seen the shows again. The crowds were getting small and, you know, the venues were smaller and, you know, they just wouldn't have been able to draw such a crowd in the US. Um, so it really gave the WWF a big time look as well. Yep, and obviously, as you noted, we're kicking off with the commentators, the announcers, Vince McMahon, and Bobby Heenan, who I thought had been missing from TV for a while uh, prior to this. I don't recall him being on because it was Mr. Perfect and Vince for so, most of the shows. So, so uh, Heenan used to do Wrestling Challenge. So that was the distinction. He and Grill and Monsoon used to do Wrestling Challenge as opposed to Superstars. Um, so I certainly did catch him. You know, in some, you know, but as you say, superstars used to be Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect. So he was there and he was doing some stuff in the background, I guess, with Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect. But yeah, he wasn't on the A show at the time. Yep. And interestingly, again, we had um, a few dark matches, uh, which is an interesting point to note here because they weren't shown, um, you know, on the UK presentation of this show but they were shown in the US. Well, they weren't, Wax. I'm going to dispute this now. We're going to get into it first. What I heard, and I could be wrong, is that the UK one had one match later on, but the US one didn't either. And it was actually later on. They did a Coliseum Home release, which had all 11 matches. Um, and the US audience actually didn't see these because they were for the audience in the arena. Um, certainly two of the matches. Um, but I'll let you talk a little bit more about them. Well, we're just going to run through the results for them. It's Papa Shango beats... El Matador, Tatanka beats Berserker, uh, Bushwhackers and Jim Duggan beat uh, the Nasty Boys in the Mountie. Um, you know, fans probably thinking, you know, we dodged a bullet there. Some terrible wrestlers included in that. But then, yeah. uh, you know, if you're in the audience, you're probably loving the fact that you didn't see everybody that was, you know, quite big on TV over the last few months. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, but you know, it goes back to the, the couple of shows 
please go back check them out in the archives papa shango talk about a fall from grace he's feuding in the main feud with the ultimate warrior and now he's basically in one of the dark matches and he beats el matador but it's a nothing match in terms of hacksaw jim duggan and the bushwhackers against the nasty boys in the mountain i think it's nice for the crowd to see this um, but i see a pretty nothing match and okay you see some you know characters there and um, the third match actually waxed the toilet to tank a berserker was okay but it wasn't a Uh, as a as a dark match at the beginning and you might notice this if you go and catch it online but it was later on it was actually after the WWE title match and they had that and that's why we moved from that match to the next one a little bit abruptly on the TV show so that came later on and some rumors say that was supposed to be part of the the main show but they just didn't have time for it i guess just one final point i'll make about these dark matches initially it was announced that Texas Tornado would take on Papa Shango but Texas Tornado got into his own personal issues again, and actually we wouldn't see him again uh, in a WWF ring, which was obviously tragic given what happened to him some months later on. But yeah, that was the first couple of matches, one dark match later on. But let's get to the first match, Wax. It's that, it's that pop people want to hear, and you know you love that pop. I do. It's that it's that Road Warrior, the Legion of Doom pop. But before them, it's Money Inc. who are coming out to the ring. Um, I don't know if Fash, you have your your. your I IRS don't. This is, a, this is the thing. I don't have IRS in my. I couldn't find them. But we had the LOD here. Um, I just want to point out a couple of lines from Bobby Heenan uh, as the, you know they're making the entrances. Um, you know he goes as Money Inc. are coming down. When the Bank of England needs needs a money line, they come to this tag team, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and if you British paid your taxes. You wouldn't burden the royal family. That was That's IRS, wasn't it? Was that IRS that said that? But the IRS said it in the ring as he does yeah. when he grabs a mic. Um, and then, yeah, as you know, we then get that huge pop for Legion of Doom coming to the ring, who looking, you know, pretty classy as usual. And at this time, especially so since they're riding these huge bikes to the ring. This is one of my big memories, and I think this is a memory people have. Not so much of the match, but just that cool entrance on the motorbikes. Now I think they might have done it in WCW a few times. I hadn't seen it. I think most hadn't seen it before. And just coming down that long aisle on these motorbikes, and they had the gold spikes, which yeah. I wish I would have had a pair of those. Uh, just a really badass entry um, into the match, and you know that's going to get the crowd hot. Road Warrior pop. I mean, the crowd's going to be hot all night, but this was just a perfect, <coughs> you know, to some to start things off with. Um, and then we get into a match, but I guess. You know, I'll let you kick off, but there's a story behind the match which is more interesting than actually what we saw in the ring. Nowadays, Fash, the opening match is something that a lot of uh, competitors want to be involved in. They really want to get the crowd going and, you know, start the show off hot. But back in the 1990s, it probably wasn't thought of that way. It's more of a, you know, a showing, it's almost a pecking order, the order that you come in um, yeah. in a pay-per-view. So it's very surprising to see one of your biggest, hottest acts like the Legion of Doom coming out to open the show against a pretty well-established tag team in Money Inc. as well. So four guys there that are probably thinking, you know what, what short straw did we draw to have to open this match? Um, and maybe you can talk to us a little bit to explain maybe why this was the opening match. Yeah, so there's probably two schools of thought. I mean, one would just be that they want to get the show, uh, show off to a hot start. So you bring out the LOD. And I think that was one of the reasons. And I think that's why I worked here. But... What we learned after this sometime was the Hawk was in a bad shape. Uh, I mean, this was originally supposed to be the tag team title match, if you remember, but the 
the Money Incorporated lost the titles on a house show to the Natural Disasters, once again, not on television. And this is what the tag team division has been a mess for a number of months. But going back to it, Hawk's been a central point of this, just his personal issues. So they put the match on first. It's not a title match. And what we hear was actually Hawk was pretty bad shape throughout the day as well. And interestingly, Animal said later on, when they came out on the motorbikes, Hawk had parked too closely to Animal. So he had to get off the other way. And he said he actually burned his leg and had to wrestle with an injury was Hawk. I mean, watching this match, he seems a bit off pace, doesn't he? And I think probably they were like, just get out there, do what you can. And, and you know, let's close the door here on this. But um, I, I don't think you could tell completely there was something wrong. I mean, I saw a couple of movements from Hawk. You know, he misses a clothesline and goes outside. That was a really cool spot. And I've never seen that before or after. But I thought that was by mistake. Though. I think this is because he wasn't all there. And that's why he went for it, because you see Animal kind of looking towards him as well. So initially, I thought that's a really cool spot. But then I thought, mm, this is probably to do with the fact that he wasn't totally there. But, I mean, that's the story behind it. Hawk had his issues, um, and that led to this not being a title match, and also maybe the fact that it was the opener, aside from, you know, getting the big pop for the crowd. Yeah, and I think Bret Hart notes in his book, the very beginning of the show, you know, he walks into the, the changing room, and he's just looking at Hawk downing three placidils, which are these really strong painkillers or over-the-counter medicines um, before the match. And then how was he allowed to jump on a motorbike and come down the ramp um, completely high um, and, you know, probably an unsafe working environment for Money, Inc. there. Uh, but, yeah, again, I, I would say you don't really notice that you much yeah. until you know what you're looking out for. Uh, and yeah. You only know that after the yeah. event, really. Um, and there's a moment at the end of the match where he comes in the ring and then he has to go back out the ring and he doesn't really know where he's supposed to be. But yeah, I thought during the match, um, you couldn't really tell how off he yeah. was, but we know he was in a lot of trouble um, and his, sort of, his own sort of demons were coming to the fore. Yeah, and it's a standard tag team match, isn't it? It's got your kind of simple formula. The crowd was really into it, but in terms of, it wasn't really memorable. And as you say, you can't really tell there's issues as you watch it. You've got, you know, some great workers in there. One telling saying probably is that it doesn't end with the Doomsday device. They, they, they kind of go for it. IRS, you know, stops it from happening, I think. And then we move to our finish. But I guess what were your overall views in this? Because it ends with um, Animal hits a power slam or a, a kind of follow slam and gets the pin. And what were your overall thoughts on this as, as the opener of the event? Made this uh, match uh, pretty hot, especially towards the end. I thought during, you know, there was sleeper after sleeper, uh, which yeah. took it down a notch. But, you know, towards the end of the match, the crowd really got into it. And, yeah, they didn't do the Doomsday Device, which is one of the best moves in all of wrestling. But um, they managed to finish off Teddy Diasi yeah. for the win. And, you know, the crowd were really happy with that result. Yeah, it was, it was a great way to start things. But then we don't get a post-match celebration, really. Probably just got out of the ring. But as an LOD fan, and you remember I was a huge LOD fan as a kid, this is it, Wax. Um, because it just doesn't end there for Hawk. What happens after this is even more, you know, crazy. Um, Hawk doesn't return to the US. There are rumours that he joined the London part of the Hells Angels and went he away fell in with, love them. with somebody. He fell in love with somebody in the, in the chapter in London. Yes, yeah, supposedly. And basically he doesn't return. He didn't want to go to rehab. Um, supposedly even some man wanted him to go and get himself sorted out. So Animal returns. And then there's a little bit of a limbo. And what at the time I'd heard in the playground, and I hadn't seen any footage of this, and I still haven't seen any footage in terms of televised stuff. 
Um, but for a little while, Animal was actually teaming up with another wrestler in house shows in Germany. And maybe there was some in the US as well, but I've seen a very grainy version of him teaming up with another guy um, against the Beverly Brothers in Germany. Do you know who that was, Wax? No, don't. Flash. It was Crush. So check it out. They come out as a team. Um, so Crush can say that for a little while he was part of Demolition and Legion of Doom, but um, unfortunately it doesn't go anywhere. What happens is in another show, Animal is in a handicap match against the Beverly Brothers and he injures his back. Now, this is the injury which is going to keep him out of commission till about 1996. He's going to take that Lloyds of London insurance policy, and that's it um, for the team. Hawk's going to show up in WCW Japan. He's going to have our alternative team, um, but we won't see these guys again until 1996 in WCW, and certainly we won't see them in WWF again until 1997. And just going back to this, back, so we once again didn't have a clue what was going on behind the scenes here. So one minute you see the LOD, you're jacked up thinking they'll go for the tag team titles next and that's it. We don't see him on television again. Yeah, it's a massive shame because they were a huge, yeah. huge tag team. And if both of them, or especially if, um, you know, Hawk had kept on the straight and narrow, they could have had uh, an amazing career, an even more amazing career than they did. Yeah. And you watch the NWA a lot and so did Hawk on his own could have been such a big star as a yeah. single star. I think he was the more talented of the two. Um, and as you say, it's just such a shame. Um, they will return as a team and hopefully we'll document that when the time comes. Um, but this event closes a chapter on the Legion of Doom as it will close a chapter on several names. But um, going back to it, it's a big shame. But at the time, we loved the, the entrance. We loved the victory and we were looking for more uh, in the coming weeks after this. Yeah, moving on, Fash, we see a promo with Ric Flair uh, and Mean Gene. Uh, the first question I had seen this was, why is he in his gear since he doesn't have a match on this show? <clears throat> um, you know, smartly, I mean, Gene has the same question for him. Uh, and Ric Flair said he's ready for anything. Uh, and being a smart ass as Gene is, uh, he asks which corner perfect will be in. But obviously, Ric Flair is, uh, you know, is, is choosing not to answer. Uh, he has this funny look on his face every time he gets asked that question. Um, so we're not, we, we don't know. We don't know. They kept, the, they kept the suspense going for later in the show, which was good. But once again, similar to you and me and Gene, I was thinking, why is he dressed for action here? Or what's going to happen? Um, and I guess we'll find out later on. Probably still doesn't explain why he's dressed with the robe and stuff, but it's Rick Flair. He does what he wants, right? Um, next, we move on to your favorite wrestler, Wax. It's the man called <coughs> Virgil. I wouldn't call him my favorite wrestler. I think uh, there was a terrible Virgil promo before the match. Um, you know, I, I'm not even going to say um, what it was about because I couldn't. It was garbage, right? But uh, the funny thing about I thought the match before it even started is Bobby Heenan. He goes, "You're not going to see much wrestling here um, on the commentary," which was hilarious because it's very true. There was very little wrestling, and it was mostly just nails, just bossing around uh, Virgil and the ring. It choking really, him, choking yeah, him. That was pretty much. It, it was pretty much all it was. Uh, nails well, Virgil to sell. Virgil was over, Wax. Virgil was so over. I think everyone was over in the show, but this is the last time where he's going to get pops like this. Yeah. Well, and no wonder with the demolition that it was of this match. Neil's refusing to sell anything. He was gassed within a few minutes. Uh, no surprise um, that his career was short-lived as well in the WWE. Well, I think they had bigger plans for Neil's. We'll get to that. I think Neil's own behind-the-scenes discretions indiscretions caused that but you know what I loved about this match it wasn't anything that was going on in the ring it was Bobby Heenan's commentary because if you're a British fan 
and I didn't appreciate that at this time I was watching it again and it's hilarious the kind of stuff he's seen he's like he's talking about cricket wax and we are cricket lovers you have another podcast which is cricket focus called the middle order I'll be a little plug for that I'm on it as well when we do run it and he's talking about things like Neil sees Virgil's head as a like a cricket ball and he talks about how he's gonna hit hit to him uh, you know and he talks about knocking the wickets off and then you know he talks about a soccer kick so he's having a lot of fun here and I was really impressed with the fact that Bobby Heenan went there and did his research into the game of cricket as a man from the US who knows baseball so I thought you know he's great throughout the night but you know for a terrible match absolute stinker uh, I know we're not doing formal ratings here but this is a dud right his commentary go back and listen to it it's, it's hilarious absolutely that moves us on to uh, one of the first, one of two segments that Lord Alfred Hayes will be doing um, on the show. And again, terribly done from a guy who's normally a lot better than this, right? But the way that he was asked to do this, obviously, was not was not great. But anyway, he's standing outside Macho Man's uh, changing room uh, and he says he cannot confirm the rumour that Mr. Perfect is in that changing room. And he makes a point of, you know, trying to open the door, uh, but it's locked and there's no answer coming from inside. And he's just making out that, well, why would it be locked? Uh, well, it's a changing room for a start. Lord Alfred Hayes, so I don't think you uh, you should be surprised there. But anyway, we're building up that tension or expectation of Mr. Perfect being somewhere in the building. You know what was interesting here? Like I said, it was a terrible segment, but then it got me thinking to Bash at the Beach 1996. We covered that in one of our specials. And you had the same thing going on there with me and Jean, if you remember, trying to get into the Outsiders um, dressing room. So they actually lifted a bit of that from this so so just the kind of you know parallels you draw but yeah in terms of you know lord alfred hayes he's he's been better than this but i guess he was playing the sleuth and trying to kind of continue to build up the hype but yeah it was a nothing segment let's move on to our third match fash it's rick martell versus sean michaels two of the better workers in the business at the time um, you know, Sherry looking just like Sherry can um, in an interview with Jean before the, the match. She's the, the sort of recapping the, the story as to how they got there and the whole point of no hitting in the face and that they both agreed. Um, the hilariously, Rick Martel comes out in full tennis gear, uh, reference to Wimbledon there, I think. Yep. Um, and Sherry then comes out with Shawn Michaels. And an outfit is more raunchy than you would see even on modern day television. What, a, what an outfit! Um, yeah, yeah, you have to you have to see this to believe it. And there's lots of quips from Bobby Heenan and Mr. Man um, in relation yeah. to this. And as you, you know, young young boys watching this, just go and watch it, and, and you know you'll see how yeah, it's it's eye opening. And if you think about it, that crowd had a lot of kids in it, <laughs> and you know, so it was you know, pretty extreme for the time. But you know what I loved about this, Wax? Um, you talk about Rick Martel coming out in the kind of tennis gear and Vincent Mann hits a great line here. He says, someone is going to be broken in love, which I thought was a great pun from him. But then he let himself down because I'm sure instead of Wimbledon, he says Wimbledon. So I'm not sure if Vincent Mann is a big tennis fan and he wasn't just reading a cue card or something. Um but yeah, I mean, this was unique. We've mentioned this in our previous episode when we're you know doing the build up to this event. It was a heel versus heel dynamic, and the crowd didn't really know how yeah. to react to this. Yeah, I thought they worked quite well together, yeah. at least in the first half of the ma- match. Uh, Sean Michaels took a great bump over the top rope, landing on his side. You don't really see that. You, you know, people land on their feet or yeah. knees go down softly, but he landed on the side, going over the top rope. 
Um, Martel then, you know, hitting on Sherry outside the ring, hugs um, her and, you know, both guys with plenty of heel moves using the hair, yeah. using yeah. the tights. But they're sticking to the rule, right? They're trying to avoid hitting one another in the face, which they both agreed to. And they're building up this tension of actually one of them is not going to stick to this. Yeah, we'll come to that. We get to see a lot more um, of the <laughs> Rick Martel's backside than I think we wanted to see uh, during the match. Um, things start to get heated outside the ring with, you know, Sherry getting involved, um, you know, and they're about, I think there's a slap to one, uh, uh, Sean slaps Rick Martel or Rick Martel slaps Sean and that causes Sherry to faint. Yeah, it was a bit of a mess there after actually, I, I think thought they ruined a, a reasonable match with the ending. Anyway, Sherry pretending she's she's fainted, the two guys in the middle getting more and more heated and that's when they start lashing out with punches um, and they end up fighting down the way down the aisle, leaving Sherry um, sort of on the side of the ring. Uh, they both get counted out, so it's a double count-out finish. Um, I think Sean comes back to get Sherry, uh, and Rick Martel comes, tries to knock them over, has a bottle of bucket of water. Just real, yeah, yeah, real silly, silly, real <laughs> silly comedy. Yeah. Um, I know you hate it. That's why you're bitching. But yeah, essentially, Sean is trying to carry her back. Martel stops her. Then Martel's trying to carry her back. Sean stops him, and then as Sean's taking him, Martel comes out. He's got a bucket of water. He's playing to the crowd, saying, "Shall I do it?" The crowd's popping. He plays it too long, probably, and then he yet yeah, throws the pile of water on Sherry, and that's the big ending to this match. And the crowd pops, um, and yeah, it's a kind of comedy haha match uh, with Sherry. Actually, I thought like you know her little faint that was well played by her, but I guess you know two really talented workers, and we didn't see. The best of them. What we did see was good. Um, but yeah, it then turns into what it's meant to be comedy. And actually, there's no follow-up to this match either. So it's kind of just for this event and they go their separate ways. Um, and I guess this goes back to our previous episode and we said how Sean was supposed to take on Bret Hart and that didn't happen. But um, I thought what we got was good. Um, it's a shame they never got to have a proper match later on at some point. Um, they didn't really connect again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was... <coughs> I found it in parts funny, but it's one of those things where it should have been much better if it was just a kind of a normal match. But heel versus heel doesn't work in this time period. And you'd argue maybe at times it doesn't work now. So that's why I had the comedy element in it and all being about Sherry. Yeah. And then Sherry having literally water uh, in her face at the end. Well, as the Nasty Boys put it, did you see the mascara running off the dog's face? It was like an oil slick on the team. And this is why the nasty boys will always be losers in my <laughs> eyes. Because uh, yes, man, come on, they, 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 they'd be lucky to have Sherry as their manager. But they're they just would. too nasty and, you know, anyway, the, the reason I mention them is because they have a little promo yep. after this match. Obviously, we didn't get to see their match. But the nasty boys are making it clear that they want a title shot. Um, and that pretty much leaves it there. Um, we're not done with the tag team division yet. The next match is the Natural Disasters versus the Beverly Brothers. Two tag teams that I think both of us would say we're not big fans of. Um, but I'm going to say this, Fash. I didn't hate it. I thought this was all right. I thought the Natural Disasters were you know, pretty decent for two guys of their size. Um, and if this was the Andersons against the Rock and Roll Express doing the exact same moveset as these two, Are you trying they'd, to get, say- they'd get four stars. And- Are you trying to say... The natural disasters could be compared to them, and Beverly Brothers could be compared. 
I think there was too many rest tools here, Wax. It was a lot of, I think, Typhoon taking punishment. There was too much of that. Um, and then I think I picked up. I mean, later on, we'd learn that these guys were actually pretty serious tag team in the AWA, the Beverly Brothers. Um, but here there's presented as a bit of a joke. The genius is their manager. We had no idea he was the macho man's brother. Um, but yeah, it was okay. I didn't really like it. I thought it was, obviously, you could tell this was not as hot as the opener. No. LOD were more over. But yeah, for what it was, it was fine given the teams. This wasn't originally supposed to be the tag team title match, but it was. But for me, it really just came to life really at the end. Earthquake showed why he was a much better worker than Typhoon and really takes the lead, doesn't he? Going into the finish of the match. Yeah, Beverly's getting smashed, right? He's, uh, until Earthquake hits a, a splash uh, on Typhoon in the corner. Uh, that sort of turns the match a little bit and they're both attacking yeah, Typhoon. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Er- Earthquake hits a, a splash on Typhoon. Oh, yeah. You've been on... By mistake. It's, it's by mistake. It's in the corner. And uh, at that point, the, the, the Beverly's take over for a while. As you mentioned, a lot of rest holds, a lot of Typhoon taking punishment. Um, at one point, Blake uses the metal scroll... Um, on the back of Typhoon's head before he then gets the really hot tag to Earthquake. Um, Earthquake moving like a, you know, an a proper athlete through this. Uh, you know, was, a yeah, a beautiful got... belly-to-belly suplex that even Kurt Angle would be proud of. Yep. And it finishes those off with the Earthquake splash. Yeah, he does, it well. yeah he does it. But that he... you would not want to take. Um... You wouldn't want to take. And he does it in a way because he's coming across ropes, isn't he? He knocks off, I think it's, um, is it Blake Beverly? He knocks off the, the apron, and then he does the splash to Bo. And I'll be honest, the only reason I challenged you, Wax, was I did not watch this match properly. I literally watched the last 10, 15 seconds of it. Um, and right now I've got it playing in the background. Um, but you better believe I wasn't going to watch this match properly. But I'm glad you did. Uh, one final mention of the tag team division, I think, for the show, is that we've got a promo from the Bushwhackers. Why? I have no idea. Um, but the only thing that came to me when I was watching this, I don't remember when I used to watch it, that their accents being this strong. Obviously, they're from New Zealand um, or down under, and you know they have this really strong accent that is very um, <clears throat> typical of that place. But I just, for whatever reason, I'd forgotten that they were they were that strongly New Zealandish. Yeah, they don't give them. I mean, they had their kind of skits and backgrounds, evidently, but maybe not lots of front end promos. I guess they felt that like they sound kind of British here, so let's give them some time. But once again, they'd had their dark match at the beginning, so similar to the Nasty, but at least with the Nasty boys, there's a story there. They weren't a tag team title shot, and they were starting to play the storyline of Jimmy Hart, Money Inc. Bushwhackers were just talking for the sake of it. I would have liked somebody to just come and wipe them out. Well, I think they had their they had their place in WWF of 1992, especially with this very young audience who I think popped Big for the bushwhackers. I, I was ne- I was never a bushwhacker, but I know you wanted them to lick you in the face back in the day. So yeah, definitely for fans like yourself. Well, my favorite memory of the bushwhackers still to this day is them teaming up with Bret Hart in a six-man tag match. Um, this is, comes later on this year, I think, in '92 or '93. Uh, we'll come I don't to know this match, but I'm sure Bret probably doesn't remember it too fondly. Probably not. But these guys yeah. are the sheep herders, man. Years later, we learned that these guys were original vicious. Blood yeah. hungry heels, <laughs> and when you look at the bushwhackers, you would never know that was the case. But I'm sure we'll discuss that probably some day. Typically, Vince has to tame down uh, the act slightly. Uh, slightly. <laughs> please, please check out Sheep Herders match, and you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah, let's move on to the next uh, Lord Alfred Hayes promo um, or segment. This time he's outside the Warriors changing room. Um, uh, why is he using a David Attenborough voice? Uh, 
throughout this as if he's hunting um, you know a creature about to be exterminated or something how do you know David Attenborough is not copying Lord Alfred Hayes it's a good point I might have to go back and see when David Attenborough started his shows but anyway he tries to open the door to the Warriors changing room Um, it gets closed on him before he gets it ajar more than a few centimetres he says it was a shocking act of rudeness even though it was him that tried to I'm trying to get into someone else's uh, yeah exactly Bobby Heenan points out um, sharply uh, and that's the end of the local hero Lord Alfred Hayes who's um, you know I I never really recalled him as much until I restarted watching um, this era of wrestling um, and still I couldn't really point towards all of his uh, you know backstage influence on the business yeah, and, and you know what we'll have to investigate this more I heard mixed stories later on if you notice he's not been honoured by WWE since and I think there was some conflict later on but yeah when you go back now Obviously, with the promotional announcements, it was always his voice. He would do the, the update segments. He was on these shows, but slowly he'll be kind of removed over time. But he sticks around, and then he's not been honoured by the company. So there's some story there, and we will certainly dig into it in, in the future. But yeah, that is the last we see of uh, the Lord in this pay-per-view. And moving on to a very short match, a match that um, I'm not even sure whether it was aired uh, it wasn't, in the UK it wasn't or the them, US yeah. or whatnot, which is a surprise considering it was Crush's first big match on a big event. Uh, mm-hmm. Crush versus Repo Man is what it was. Uh, a very one-sided affair of Crush absolutely demolishing uh, Repo Man. Demolishing? That's quite a good word there you've used, Wax. Did you mean to use that? Because that was a great segue. Wins with a crusher. And again, interesting, we talked about this in the past. You know, These guys were once part of a tag team. Demolition, of course. Um, and This it's- man, <clears throat> Demolition Smash, is Repo Man, as we've established. And yes, Crush was the third member of Demolition, Crush. And kids like us who hadn't really seen that fully didn't have a clue. And I think most people didn't even recognize this at the time, but this was Demolition um, actually taking each other on after being partners in 1990-91. So really odd, but as you say, a one-sided squash um, really establishing Crush. And going back to your point, I don't remember watching this in the version of SummerSlam 92 that I saw. Uh, maybe it wasn't a live one, but certainly the cut that I saw, it wasn't there and it wasn't shown in the US. Um, but I guess it was really there to establish Crush. Once again, Repo Man was feeding with the Bulldog and, you know, he's just kind of a jobber here. So, you know, maybe, you know, we, we establish here that he's not really going to go far uh, with this character, unfortunately for him. Uh, you know, going from one extreme of Smash, you know, this really powerful guy and a really hot tag team, one of the bigger draws at the time, yep. to Repo Man, who's who's basically a thief, a scaredy cat, uh, if you will. You know, <clears throat> it's, just, it's just quite a fall from grace or just yeah, crazy yeah. extremes. Yeah, and Bayou Darso's career is not really going to recover. He's going with WCW, various gimmicks there. It doesn't really work. And as you said, once LOD came in, we've talked about this in the archives, check them out. Vince Man just ruined demolition. This character, as you say, is a little bit, comedic here but initially it had a bit of a dark undertone and then we've talked about the angle with the the British Bulldog which was pretty graphic but by this point and we're going to see going into 1993 you know the the character's not really going to go anywhere um, aside from you know a few matches here and there but yeah the the match was there to establish Crush got a really strong pop I know everyone's getting pops here but he did and at this point if you were just watching this you'd probably think Crush is going to be a big big deal um, in the coming years, uh, a potential main eventer, the way he was presented, and you know the kind of characters we were seeing in the company at this time. 
Yeah, he certainly seemed like he had a steep upwards curve, you know, for the next few months thereafter, before it all seemed to sort of fall away very quickly. We'll talk about that, obviously. So we're, it's flash. We're more than halfway through the show. Um, <clears throat> the crowd's on fire. The the setting looks amazing. The wrestling maybe has not been, you know, great, but it never really was in the early 90s. Uh, what are your sort of thoughts at this stage of this show? Yeah, as we get close to our first kind of big match, I mean, I, I enjoyed it at the time. Obviously, we loved it at the time. Watching it again with a more critical eye, I still think it was entertaining. But, there was, yeah, there was a lot of matches in there that, you know, just there to fill things up. Like I say, the opener, LOD, was great to see them. Match was okay. Um, Nails, Virgil, Dud, the other matches that we've seen so far. I mean, like I say, Shawn Michaels, Martel had potential. What we saw, I think, was good but we didn't see enough of it. So I think it's just right now, you know, it needs something um, to really ignite it. But I think we always talk about this, Wax. The crowd makes the event. And because the crowd didn't miss a beat, I mean, they were loud throughout. I think whatever we were seeing, you're engrossed. If this was a show that had a rubbish crowd, I think you would have felt more. But I was enjoying it just because of the the, the environment that this was all happening in. And just seeing these characters again, and, and probably a peak moment. For, for a number of them. So to me, it was kind of okay-ish for the kind of critical eye. Um, but yeah, the best was still to come. 